It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. So this is the third episode in, I, I guess it could be called a somewhat controversial series that I am in the midst of. I, I think back over it as I'm going through each episode, and I'm just wanting to evaluate if I'm stepping on the wrong sorts of toes, uh, because there is, it's delicate, sacred territory, almost like it's radioactive earth, and it's hard to address some of these issues without, first off, sounding political, or sounding like I have an agenda to sway our culture in some specific way, which here's what's ironic. I do, I do have an agenda, but it is an agenda to proclaim Christ, Jesus. I wanna see the church strong. I don't wanna see the church be more affirming towards sin, nor do I wanna see the church grow even more stalwart in its hostilities towards the mission field that we are supposed to be reaching. I desire us to have eyes wide open to realize that those that are poised as the antagonists of the church have always been in that position. Historically, there are always those that are poised against the truth. And yet, God so loved them that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever amongst that group that is poised against the truth, if they would believe in him, would find life. And we are the caretakers of that gospel in this hour, in this generation, to actually bring the gospel to them even when they are snarling in our face. And so when we allow a political climate to impact and to color our approach to the very ones we're supposed to reach, it actually is playing into the enemy's agenda. So what I'm interested in doing is exploding an enemy agenda and making sure that God's agenda is ruling the church. I started by saying that I want to approach this with an ambidextrous uh, approach, meaning, you see, when we look politically or socially, right is conservative, left is liberal. And so when I say I want to be ambidextrous, that could sound like I'm trying to be left and right, and I technically am just wanting to be right down the center, right? But there's also an illustration in that that is rather profound. There's a lot of things that right can represent, okay? So conservatism, Phariseeism, where you end up elevating the law or end up elevating rules above relationship on this past Sunday, which this wasn't even part of the, the series, but the muddy paws of Brumus, I went into the issues of uh, religion and the spirit of religion that can nestle its way into the conservative uh, realm. And that is something that lingers right. It is like a magnetic pull towards us to go in the religious direction, to create an infrastructure of rule and to feel right as long as we stick within our rules. And it's dangerous, it's hazardous to our soul, but there are some in this room that are very prone to that. I am, uh, it is, it's a weird thing. Now I don't like it, I don't want it, but I recognize that I am prone to my conservative uh, perspective. And the same is true on the opposite side. You, should, you could say left or Sadducean, uh, if you're going back to early uh, you know, Jesus Christ times. The ones that opposed Jesus were both right and left because they were to the extreme either way, they missed the Messiah. 
And so you could also call this the spirit of rebellion, where you put individualism above the intimacy that you could have either with others or with Christ, because you want your way, and so you want to exert your thinking, and that is something that some of you are prone to as well. Technically, all of us are prone to either side, depending on the circumstance. Like if you're around someone who's really heavy-duty religious with the pungent cologne of legalism, what do you tend to do? You tend to gravitate to balance that into more of the rebellious camp. If you're around a rebel that is just flaunting you know, everything and cursing God, you have a tendency to become very religious to sort of offset that. This is humanity at work. The same thing happens in culture. If the leadership of a culture begins to emphasize one thing very strongly, there will be a counter movement in a culture that will begin to do the opposite. Okay, so what you're understanding is the sociological constructs that are going to be a part of the piece of history that we are dealing with right now, which is 1914 to 1974. And you would be accurate if you said, so are we actually going to talk about that period of time or are we just going to say that this is about that period of time? I'm laying a foundation. It's always hard when I start a series because when we get into the series, we'll start moving really quick. We'll have very specific events that we're going through. But in the beginning, I have to sort of create an overview. And that can be hard for those of us that are just sort of wanting to get going in something. But this period, this 60-year period, is a period of great conflagration because you have extreme right and extreme left going head on in a collision course. And there are going to be social issues that are real issues that are going to find their way into that blender. And so when one side takes up the cause of say racial equality, not necessarily because they care about it, but because it is in the face of the other party and they're going to leverage it. This is going to cause us in our current situation to look at certain things through the lens of politics as opposed to through the lens of, yeah, that's reasonable, we should do that. For instance, when I, I brought up race in the last episode, well, technically I've brought it up in the last two, and as a believer, there should be no argument in our soul that skin color means zippo as far as our love, our care, the value of someone, their, their worth in God's eyes, and their ability and potential on this earth to carry the gospel and to change the world in which they live. It's like to even think of adding anything to that or decrying that in any way is high treason in the kingdom of heaven. That has no place. And yet we've grown up in a culture where if you lean right, you feel threatened when certain ideologies are presented. For instance, there's something going on in the Supreme Court yesterday in regards to affirmative action. And affirmative action, I mean, you want to get a conservative sort of going a little wild, you know, start talking about, uh, oh, well, it, it's, it's the idea of uh, inverse uh, discrimination. It, but it's, a, it's almost like a positive, uh, a, a positive version of being a little biased. So because certain people are, have been oppressed for a long time, we are going to swing uh, and correct that. And so the white person will have less privileges and the black person will have more. Now, what's interesting about that is let's take the politics out of it. Let's say someone walks in and they say to me, this person has had a really rough go. And 
they haven't been able to eat for a while, and I'm, I'm in line at a, at a restaurant. And they appeal to me, and they say, would you mind if they get in front of you in the line? They just, they haven't eaten for a while, and I, I just really feel like it would be really good. To, what, what do you think? But what they would be doing is giving me the opportunity to participate in loving that person. If you remember early American history, it was something called taxation without representation. And so the conservative really doesn't like it when we have taxation without representation, or you're going to put someone in front of me in line without allowing me to choose to have them in front of me in line. And there's actually a truth baked into that. When you try and solve something from government that is actually a moral condition in our hearts, that if you appeal to me to actually allow someone in front of me in line, then I can actually say yes. Now the problem is, and the government knows this, that our culture probably isn't going to say yes. And so they're gonna force someone into the line in front of me and let me learn my lesson since I'm not learning it any other way. I actually understand why government goes back and forth like this, because we as humans don't correct easily. But it actually never solves the problem unless we deal with the hearts and minds of the people. Jesus Christ has to reach us to change us. We have other issues that have become political, like abortion. To be honest, you know, that's, now that's a conservative issue. But to be honest, it never makes any sense to me when I, when I hear the, uh, the, the, the liberals communicating about you know, the right to choose. It sounds like the conservatives in regards to racial issues because it's totally irrational. You, you value life, you want to preserve the rights of everyone, but you don't care about the rights of this little baby. That doesn't even make sense. Neither does the conservative in certain situations. Like I was giving the illustration a couple days ago to someone when I was talking about uh, recycling. Recycling is one of those funny pressure points for us because it's like a classic liberal save the earth policy. It actually, if you were to take the politics out of it and someone were to say, we could reuse that aluminum and make it something new and we wouldn't have to, you know, it would actually be overall better for the, uh, the world in which we live. What do you mean by better for the world? Are you trying to save the world? Are you, do you think the world's gonna be forever? Because God's gonna burn it up in the end. The conservative really is sensitive on this point to something that actually Makes sense. Why wouldn't you recycle, right? If you were to think about that. However, when I say that, some of you are like, oh, that, he's a liberal. <laughs> I'm not the best recycler. You know, I do recycle. I have a bin for it. But if something accidentally goes into the other bin, I don't panic, right? <laughs> but it, if you think about it, it does make sense. The other one is like, what was it, deforestation? We were talking about the fact that it's like, oh yeah, the liberals, the tree huggers, trying to preserve every tree. Well, you know what? When you take out a tree, it's not a bad idea to plant a new one. It makes sense. However, when it becomes political, you have a tendency to backlash. Remember I, I said, it doesn't matter what Donald Trump says, the liberals will consider it wrong. Well, it doesn't matter what Joe Biden says, the conservatives will consider it wrong. This creates an imbalance in the sanity levels of a culture. It is an irrational way to live, and we as Christians should be untouched by this. We should not have any of our thoughts, any of our views, any of our opinions tainted by the political 
system. That is not the ruling system in our hearts and minds. It's the kingdom of heaven that we are first and foremost in. Yes, we are in this earth, but secondarily so, we consider the issues of this earth. The issues of heaven and the kingdom of heaven and the government of heaven and the government of our king is our priority point. And then we take that into this world. So this series is called Spiritual Lessons from Black and White America. And this, after I get my clicker on, is part three, the key to the beautiful city. Oh, I don't know how excited you guys are, but that's, you know, it has a pretty uh, intriguing title there. So I know, I, I keep saying that this is a series between 1914 and 1974. I don't know, I, I had one event in that time. Well, I had two, I had two boxing matches uh, that took place in 1936 and 1938. But we're gonna go before that, yes. And again, this is foundation. I'm trying to create a context for so many things that we're going to begin to unpack but the unexpected alliance of historic enemies. So in this country, we have historic enemies. Now, I don't think we would articulate it that way. For instance, black and white. For you in here, it actually probably offends you if I said we're historic enemies, because we're not. I'm not, I don't, I'm not an enemy with black people, and most black people that I know are not an enemy with me. So part of that feels like it's hyperbolized. But in the history of this country, there has been a conflict racially. Also, if you could say Native Americans and whites, you could say the same thing. It's just not as, not as common of an issue to come up. You know, you don't have the same BLM sort of movement for the Native Americans. But there could be. I could say that very quickly. It is a very real problem and challenge in our history that some of us don't like it when it's brought up. We're like, hey, look, that was a long time ago. Hey, there were reasons why this happened. Hey, back then people thought different. Now we think, you know, uh, and we're a little smarter, that's fine, but don't blame me for their, their thoughts and their behaviors. And yet, what we need to do as believers is stop allowing the social dynamic and the political correctness of these topics to infect and to direct us in how we address it spiritually. This is a spiritual issue in our country. And so if someone has a spiritual issue, but they keep coming up with rationalizations and justifications of why it shouldn't be dealt with and why the Spirit of God shouldn't touch it and convict anyone of anything, it actually doesn't solve the issue. So for us to say, Lord, please explain your heart to us, and how can we actually labor to see our country set free from this? 1903, we have an event that most of you have probably never heard about. Technically, if you went through my World War I series, you would have heard about it, which I uh, wish you hadn't gone through my World War I series, and this could be totally fresh. But we have long-standing enemies, Great Britain and France. These guys can't see straight. You know, when they even hear some, you know, even the word France, you know, it comes up, they just have a disgust, a spit on the ground. Or the same is in the opposite. They hear a French accent and it makes them mad. They hear a French word and it makes them mad. Because these are like arch rivals. They're right across the English Channel from each other and they've had wars. Okay, they've had feuds going back and forth. 
Now, the same thing is true. France, I don't know, and I don't want to speak for France, and again, to speak about old France and new France is very different. It's the same way we feel when someone talks about old America and our issues with slavery. It's like, hey, well, that wasn't me. That's probably the way French people feel today about their feuds with Great Britain and with Germany. Many wars with the Prussian Empire, which we know as Germany. And so you have this Franco-Prussian War in 1870, which is actually the basis for World War I. There's a feud going on, and World War II is simply an extension of the same feud. And so we have this long-standing arch rivalship that is taking place in Europe. Most of us don't care about that because we're over here in America, and we don't have issues like that. We have the same internal issues. We could say in Europe, they have internal issues. In America, we have internal issues. You know what those internal issues led to? World War I, World War II. These are big deals, and if they're not addressed properly, it creates an explosion. And so we have an unexpected alliance of historic enemies, which actually just in and of itself is very intriguing to me that long-standing enemies could actually ally together. So if you think about it, if you know the history of World War I and World War II, France and Great Britain are actually going to ally. Now, for you, that might mean very little, but for them, that's unprecedented. And it's actually sort of fun to think about. And in World War I, it's the secret of victory. If they hadn't allied, they go down. So in 1903, we have a character that is called Edward VII. And he is known as the uncle of Europe. He's the king of England. He's not a guy that most of us have known about. He's not in the modern era, and so he's not someone that is in our frame of reference. Very interesting character, sort of a fun-looking guy to look at. Uh, and, but he's called the uncle of Europe for a reason. Wilhelm II, who is the emperor of Germany, uh, is his nephew. Nicholas II, who's the czar of Russia, is his nephew through marriage. Alex, the Tsarina of Russia, the one who married Nicholas, is his niece. Ina, the Queen of Spain, is his niece. Marie, soon to be Queen of Romania, his niece. Maud, Queen of Norway, his daughter. Frederick VIII, King of Denmark, his brother-in-law. Talk about being the uncle of Europe. So one of the statements about this man is that he was like the pin in a grenade. And the moment he died, all stability just emptied out because he provided something to this territory. And I want to give you a little insight into what it was because it's something that the church represents in a culture too. You see, if you were to lift the church out, suddenly you've pulled the pin on a grenade. At least that's the way it should be. The problem is I almost feel like the church itself today is pulling out the pin on the grenade. We don't know how to be helpers in this situation because we are politically minded instead of Jesus-minded first and foremost. Edward's historic maneuver. So there's a place, now you may not call Paris the beautiful city, but that's what it's always been known as, the beautiful city. And it has always been sort of the center of art and culture. Now I want you to symbolically imagine this in our life. As Christians, don't you feel like you're sort of on the outs when it comes to the, the capital city of arts and culture? <laughs> I mean, just being a Christian makes you obtuse immediately. It's sort of like they strip the key from you first thing. It's like, well, okay, if you're going to believe in Jesus, you can't enter here. And that's sort of the way 
Edward feels. Edward VII can't access this city. Wilhelm II, who's the, uh, the, uh, the chief, the president, the king, you know, whatever you want to say, it's the, the term uh, for, for them back then was like czar uh, for, for Russia, but it's like a Caesar uh, type of uh, a term. And that was what Wilhelm was even in Germany. He's a king. And he wants to get to the beautiful city too. And so, but these two antagonists, Edward VII and Wilhelm, because of their long heritage, Wilhelm with the Prussians, the German Empire, and Edward VII with the, with the British, they have no hope. I mean, this is like territory they can't even dream of entering. So Edward's historic maneuver, 1903, he is going to have an unexpected, incredible visit to Paris. Now, Socially speaking, this is phenomenal. Like in the landscape of history, this is unprecedented. A king is going to unexpectedly show up to actually desire to enter in and to change the relationship with a country. Oh, does he know the French? I mean, if you're a good British guy, you know the, the French are not going to welcome that. They hate you, Edward. You're the symbol of them right now. You've got to be kidding. Are you actually, this could risk your life. He is going to show up with a desire to change the relationship. So I want you to put yourself in this situation. You find yourself, there's a beautiful city there, and the culture is, you know, they're dancing and, and doing their things, singing their songs, and you know, you don't agree with what they are doing, but you desire to have access into that city to influence it, to have a voice. This is like, welcome to the modern church. We don't know how to get in. And so you see all sorts of compromise. You see the arise of the affirming church, which is going to say, hey, you know, we're going to overlook all of these sin issues, everything the Bible says, and we're going to just affirm and that's like their secret way in. It's like a back channel into the beautiful city, but it's a compromise, and it's not going to change the beautiful city. All it does is absorb them into the culture of the beautiful city. I don't want to become like the beautiful city. I want to reach it with Jesus. So what does this look like? How do you do it? Well, look what Edward VII is going to do. So here's how Barbara Tuckman says it in the Guns of August. In 1903, Edward went to Paris disregarding advice that an official state visit would find a cold welcome. On his arrival, the crowds were sullen and silent, except for a few taunting cries of, Long live the Boers! That was a Boer war uh, down in South Africa. Uh, wasn't a very pleasant thing for the uh, Brits, and so that's like an uh, open wound pouring a little salt in it, which the king ignored. To a worried aide who muttered, uh, The French don't like us, he replied, Why should they? and continued bowing and smiling from his carriage. When Edward left, now I just skipped a whole bunch, right? When Edward left, the crowds now shouted, long live the king. What just happened? Edward is going to come in with humility. He is going to speak words of kindness. He is going to compliment and encourage the French government and the French people. He is going to speak of its beauty. He is not going to say he's not going to speak of the virtues of the Brits. He's going to speak of the virtues of the French. He is going to cause them to open their hearts to him. And 
this is going to change history, guys. The alliance between Great Britain and France is going to change history. Because if those two are not allied when Germany uh, starts World War I, the history of the world is completely different right now. It was actually this unexpected alliance that is going to happen right before World War I that is actually going to change everything. A Belgian diplomat commented on this and said, seldom has such a complete change of attitude been seen as that which has taken place in this country. Edward has won the hearts of all the French. For a British king to win the hearts of all the French, imagine if you could take that same concept and inject it into some of the issues we are dealing with today. Because it's not that Edward became French, he's still very English. But for us to actually have a voice in some of the key enemy zones that we currently experience as the church, what would that be like? What could that be like? Is it even possible? Long-standing opponents of our lives could possibly use an unexpected, incredible visit from us. You know, most of those groups that are hostile currently towards the church are very hard for us to purposely go and reach. It's like, well, if they came up to me and said, hey, could you give me a reason why you have a hope and a, you know, of salvation in your life? You'd be like, I'm really glad you asked. However, to go to them, which is a missionary maneuver. You see, it's easier for us to think of some pagan culture in some foreign land, you know, where they're wearing just a loincloth, if at all, anything, to actually go there and to give the gospel and to love those people and to overlook their savagery and to, and to see God's redemptive plan and purpose for them and their significant value in his eyes than it is to go down the road and to encounter someone who is counterculture to the way we desire this country to go and to love them and to see Christ's value for them and to speak the way that Edward VII spoke to France so that they could know that they are cared for, that they have an ally in Great Britain. The key to the beautiful city. So I'm gonna give you the key, guys. It's the Lux Blanket. And you're like, okay, thank you. Uh, it's very helpful, Eric. What in the world is that? Well, I'm gonna explain what that is. So here's a, this is actually a fake picture, even though it's really cool. This is Edward VII wrapping a blanket around the French. And I think that's a really cool picture, even though it's not a real picture. It is a, almost like a synthetic picture, if you will. But it's a pretty cool concept. That's your secret into the beautiful city. You come with a blanket to put over the shoulders of those that have been deemed your enemy. So have you ever heard of a Lux baby blanket? That's like one of its terms. If you've ever had a little, little baby, then you might know what a luxe baby blanket is. Uh, that really furry, soft stuff that as a parent, you're like, I'm gonna use this blanket. This is great. I remember Hudson had a blue one uh, and I ended up getting Leslie. It was like one of those gifts, like Mother's Day or something. I got her a, a luxe baby blanket. Uh, what do you call it? When you get out of the shower, you put it on. What's that thing called? What is it? Bathrobe. And she had a bathrobe that was pink and uh, very soft. I like to cuddle with her uh, in that. So the description of a Lux baby blanket is chic faux fur with the signature satin border. 
all right? This is what you need. If you're going to effectively enter the beautiful city, you need one of these, okay? And you're like, ah, uh, how am I supposed to get that? So here's a picture of a luxe baby blanket. Don't you want to cuddle up uh, with that baby blanket? Oh, that just looks so nice. So uh, the luxe baby blanket, the immense supply of heavenly grace given to the believer. So when you come to Jesus, you are afforded access into the throne room of grace. And in the throne room of grace, you now have access to the mercy of God and to grace for every trial, every challenge you could ever face. Basically, what God gives you is a luxe baby blanket. Now, from this point forward, I'm going to take out the word baby. We're just going to call it a luxe blanket, okay? God is going to give you a certain comfort, capital C, comfort. He is going to give you something known as grace. He is supplying you with something that your soul needs, but the reason he is giving it to you isn't so that you could wrap yourself up in it and get all cozy. He is going to comfort you, yes, but so that you can now put it on the shoulders of others. So you could wrap yourself in it. And by the way, most people do. Most people, if they receive any lux in their life, if they receive anything in their life, have a tendency to cling to it themselves, mine. But you were given this grace so that you could wrap others in it. If that were Christ sitting next to you, do you guys remember the story I shared on Wednesday of the two Chinese Christians in the prison cell? And they're both cold, they're shivering, and they both have a thin blanket over their shoulders. And one of them is going to have the thought, if that were Jesus sitting next to you, would you give him your blanket? The very one who gave up everything for you. The very one who sacrificed and died for you. If you had the privilege of actually taking a blanket off of your shoulders and sticking it on his, wouldn't you want to take it? He did. And so he removed the thin blanket from off his shoulders and put it on his brother sitting next to him. And in essence, the reason I even was starting with that story is to prep for this one. This is Christianity, right here. We treat everyone around us, even the smelly, the dirty, the ones that are not like us, do not think like us, if we look at them as Jesus, we are actually moving forward in how we are revealing the kingdom of heaven. Now that person isn't Jesus, but Jesus says, I want you to treat them as if they are me. So one of his requests to us, when we're like, Jesus, what can I do for you? How can I show my love for you? He says, you see this stinky person right here? Yeah. I want you to treat that person as if they are me. Well, but they're not you. But I want you to treat them as if they are. I want you to love them as if that was me. I want you to serve them. So the question is, if that was Jesus, what would you give him? What would you be willing to do to serve, to wash the feet of Jesus? Well, it should change your attitude. It should change your mind. Now, at first, we can oftentimes do this begrudgingly. But when we receive that Lux baby blanket, maybe I was going to just call it a Lux blanket from this point forward, and we begin to serve with it, it's interesting, but in that movement of wrapping it around someone's shoulders, God now pours love through us. To the point, and I'm going to say this, this is an authentic statement, and you can test me on it by trying it. You actually have love for that smelly person. You genuinely love them. 
But you're only going to find that love when you deliberately agree with God to give your blanket to them. And when you do, it's interesting, but God bonds you in a very special way, and he gives you his love for that person. And it's a foreign love. It's not something that's native to us, but it is real, and it's powerful. Would you give him your Lux blanket? So the ultimate husband, what is the ultimate husband? It's an expert at sharing his Lux blanket with his wife. You see, a great husband is going to have so many moments where he needs to not think of himself, but he needs to think of his wife ahead of himself. Even if that means he gets harmed, even if that means he gets uncomfortable, even if that means he needs to do something that you know, is going to cause him to lose sleep or you know, lose money, Whatever it is, he's going to take it. I remember one of the traditions I started, this is quite a few years ago, but it's been one of the most important in my life. And it's constantly reminded me of this very thing. And that Leslie's and my birthday are one day apart. So I'm December 17th, but she's December 16th. And uh, our anniversary is December 10th. It's a very expensive month, December. <laughs> and so she has her birthday. And then on my birthday, of course, there's the propensity, as we all know, birthdays are... There's a vulnerability towards selfishness on a birthday. And it's a hard, hard thing not to. If you've ever had everyone forget your birthday and you're like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I know Jesus loves me. <laughs> but it's a very personal thing. And so everyone around you should be sensitive to it. That's what I would encourage everyone around you. Of course, for you, I would say you have to always let that go. You have to give it as a luxe blanket. Yes, it is a precious thing. But to not just hold people to that, but to give away the blessing of your birthday. And that's the way I look at it. It's a birthday blessing. And so I look at me as having a special grace that God gives me because he celebrates birthdays. And so I, I sense that he has a special grace that he wants to give me a big present of grace. And so what I do first thing that day is I go, no, no, God, could you give that to Leslie? I want her to have a double birthday. And I deliberately want to relinquish my blessing and I want it to go to her. Now again, that's an exercise because just like all of us, I'd sort of like to know what's in that box you were gonna give me there, Jesus? Yeah, I could maybe use that. That could strengthen my wardrobe there. Instead to say, no, no, to her. And that is part of, again, the Christian life is knowing how to give that which you could receive. You, you could take this, you could wrap yourself in this. But actually, the strength of your life is going to be found when you give it instead of claim it. 1 Peter 3, 7, Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. So there seems to be something that actually hinders our effectiveness in the Christian life, our praying life when we do not give our Lux blanket and wrap it around our wives as husbands. Isn't that odd? If we are taking this Lux that we receive and holding onto it, it actually hinders our effective relationship, our ministry as believers. The ultimate father is an expert in sharing his Lux blanket with his children. And so a father that is only gonna think about his fun, his enjoyment, it's like, hey, I'm going hunting. This is my time. This is the me time for daddy. Very dangerous for daddy to claim his me time, right? Most of fatherhood, if any of you have experienced it, is giving up me time. 
is just saying, it's Jesus' time. All of this is for Jesus. And the way that I'm going to reveal the kingdom of heaven is by continually choosing to give up that Lux blanket. We've joked for quite some time that vacations, you know, the Ludi family will take vacations. And then we get back from a vacation and it's like, boy, do we need a vacation. Uh, vacations are not based around what Leslie and I would like desire to do, which is probably just sit and read, hang out in a hammock and sleep. <laughs> it's just like, well, I don't need to go do all these things. I don't need to go on that. I don't need to do that. I don't need to see that. I actually don't want to do anything. But this isn't about me. I'm going to take this and put it around my children because I want them to know that we care, that we want to invest in them. This is their time with us. We want to share in this time. And yet it can be exhausting to do that. Yeah, from a human vantage point, but this is what we're here for. You could look at ministry that way. That would be exhausting. You mean people actually like want you to pray for them? They want to share their challenges with you? Yeah, but that's why God gave me this blanket. See, what do you think he gave it to you for? It's so that you have something to give when that happens. Why do you think you have that, oh parent? It's so that you can give it. Why do you have that, oh husband or wife? It's so that you can give that. The ultimate Christian is an expert at sharing his lux blanket with the body of Christ. In a strange way, it's almost as if Jesus said, you will know my disciples by the fact that they share their lux blanket with the body of Christ around them. That's how you will recognize those that are my disciples. That they are not hoarding, but they are sharing. 1 Peter 3, 8 through 9. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. This is speaking to us, the body of Christ. Love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, share your lux blanket. Blessing knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Bless everywhere. You carry your blanket around and wrap it around whoever needs it. Is someone shivering? Is someone shivering? Every environment you go into, put it over their shoulders. And there's a tremendous satisfaction in that. Now, I know the concern that you have, and we'll get to this. If I give up my uh, Lux blanket, I won't have a Lux blanket anymore. That's a very interesting thought. And I will address that However, for right now, I'd sort of like you to have the tension because sacrifice is exactly that. It's sacrifice where you are willing to give something up. And if you give something up, what does that mean? You don't have it anymore. What? That means someone else has what you would have had. They have a warmth that now you don't have. Oh, no. But I want you to at least count that cost. I want you to absorb that and to recognize this is what Jesus did for you. The ultimate missionary is an expert at sharing his Lux blanket with the contrary culture around him. You see, everywhere you go, you have a Lux blanket. Now, some of you are thinking, no, I gave my Lux blanket to my kid, or actually to my spouse when I first woke up, and now you're saying I need to give it to my children, but I already gave it away. Yet you have sort of a pack of Lux blankets, okay? They're like the little miniature versions, and you sort of set them, and they expand once you bring them out of the pack. You have... You have more than one, but I know that's a little tricky to describe. So you sort of need to use your imagination for how this works. But wherever you go, you could comfort yourself. You could think of yourself. You could think of your needs. You could think of what you want. You could think of whatever drink you should have when you're at Starbucks instead of going over the counter and setting a blanket on the shoulders of that barista. 
that really needs hope. You see, so many of us are in our Lux blanket world and we're thinking about what we need and what we are struggling with instead of what that person is struggling with. But Jesus wants to strengthen you to actually take what you think you need and give it to someone else. And when you do that, ironically, God takes care of your needs. 1 Peter 3, 13 through 17. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. Even if you give your lux blanket away, and that person throws it in the trash, and now you're cold, and your lux blanket was totally seemingly wasted, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is within you. With meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. If you're gonna suffer, suffer because you're giving away your Lux blanket. Don't suffer because you're clinging to your Lux blanket and offending people because they're dying and going to hell while you're clinging to something. If you're gonna suffer, make sure you're suffering for giving something away instead of clinging to your own selfish agenda. The man principle. He's built to take the hit of rejection, the pains of embarrassment, and the jolt of disappointment. So when I'm talking to guys, you know, it is a little confusing for us guys, especially because we're like, is this a cultural thing that my mom used to, you know, if a girl called me, she would say, sorry, but uh, if my son needed to get in touch with you, he would call you. <laughs> uh, who, who was that? Uh, I don't know, but it was a girl. What? It was a girl? Uh, yeah, but she can't call you. You could call her. I don't even know who it was. Uh, you know, so th this, is, this is the culture I grew up in, right? My mom was very staunch on this. And she taught me from a young age that the man is the initiator. Actually, she's correct. Biblically speaking, not just culturally speaking, Jesus is the initiator in the relationship with his bride. He is. He's the one that is going to take the step forward to rescue her. Then she's given the opportunity to respond. In a sense, he proposes so that she can respond. So I get it. I understand what my mom is saying. And it's true. A man is built to take a hit. So if someone is going to take the risk to say, will, will you marry me? Who should it be? The man or the woman? Technically, it should be the one that the scriptures are going to describe as the strong one. The woman is called the weaker vessel. I know it's a very, I, that, that's almost more, I should have put my bike riding guy up on the screen. It's like Eric's on uh, sandy uh, territory on his bike right now. But that's what the Bible says. And so we're going to infer that that means the man is the stronger vessel. That does not mean anything that he has a, a greater calling than a woman can have. It just means he has a specific role that has been, in, has been given a greater strength to walk through it. Like I call him a hammer. And a hammer can handle very difficult tasks. He's built for it. And so a man is called to do the hard thing. If there's a hard thing like squish the bug, you know, whatever it is, there's like hard jobs and the, the girls go scampering. I know there's tough girls too. Don't, don't get me wrong. And there's wimpy guys. Okay. So I, I, I'm not saying that this is just straight across blanket statement, but the guy has to go in there and he hates the spider too, but it's his job. And the same is true with like the proposal. Will you marry me? That is a vulnerable place. And yet the man is designed to take it. 
Okay, so now I'm going to give you an understanding of the body of Christ. In this, gener- in this culture, in this generation, they're the weaker vessel, you're the stronger one because you have Jesus. So in this, you're the initiator. You don't wait for them to come to you. You go to them. You don't wait for them to say, hey, could I have a Lux blanket? You are already ahead of time ready to give it. And if someone is going to be cold, it's you, not them. You're the strong vessel in this generation. You are the believer. You have grace. You have his presence. You have everything you need for life and godliness. They don't. They do have access if they would see it, if they would know it, and they would humble themselves, repent, and believe. But they don't, which is why you are pursuing them. So here's, I'm going to take that same scripture up top, which is talking about husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers be not hindered. Now say you have a ministry, and say I'm saying you're the stronger one, you're the Christian, and there's a weaker one out there that doesn't have the grace that you have. So this is my sort of luxe blanket version. Christian, live in this world always ready to give your luxe blanket giving honor to those that are oppressed by the devil and living in darkness, for they are the weaker party, that your ministry, your efforts, and your sacrifices may not be hindered, but prove successful. So Marco, it's actually a made-up name. There is a real name that goes with this. But Marco uh, came to spend the summer with the Ludi family. Little guy, and very needy character. And I'm just going to read through the description of Marco, and you can recognize maybe you've had a summer with Marco too. His parents' marriage was falling apart. His world was crumbling around him. He was extra small for his age. He was constantly badgered by his schoolmates and made fun of. And now he was spending the summer with me. He never stopped talking all summer. Even when we went to the movies, He was yammering during the movie. Shh, shh. Just always talking. Buddy, could you just shut up for just a little bit? In fact, when he talked, he always talked about how amazing he was. You know why? No one else did. I mean, but when you're a kid and you're around this, I mean, I don't want to hear about how great he is. I want to talk about how miserable he is, is what I want to talk about. He talked of his talents, his smarts, his accomplishments. He criticized me at every turn, finding fault in every single thing I did. It was the most irritating summer of my life. Okay, now, it's a little easier for you to read about that on the screen than to engage in it in reality. But isn't it interesting that when we put it on the screen and then I I just say, okay, guys, you have a luxe blanket. Who do you want to give it to? Isn't it interesting that as a Christian, when you reason as a Christian, it's like, I want to give it to Marco. You feel for Marco. You recognize something that young Eric probably didn't, that this is an insecure little guy that is wounded and hurt. Because I'm holding on to my own Lux blanket, I can't see it, guys. So when I'm young, I was about 16, I mean, I was so irritated with this guy. I could not wait. I was looking at the calendar, waiting for the day he would go home. Now in hindsight, I recognize I missed a golden opportunity. And so many of us miss that. Right now, we have this golden opportunity. There's Marcos everywhere. You could call life in America our summer with Marco. We have so many people that are hurting, that are abused, that are just 
desperate right now that are crying themselves to sleep at night. And you're holding on to your Lux blanket going, they're all against me. You were given this Lux blanket for a different reason than to cozy up with it at night. You were given it so that you could give it. Approaching our summers with Marco as a Christian. So there are certain grace properties of this Lux blanket that you have. It's very impressive, this Lux blanket. And most of us use this on ourselves. Keen sensitivity. What would be most helpful for them? You know what's interesting? How do we use it? When we take our Lux blanket and use it on us, what would be most helpful for me? And you know that totally alters your life right there. That one difference. When you take the grace of God that he has given you and you use it on yourself, you spend it on yourself, it immediately contorts and misuses the very reason God is strengthening you and blessing you. Cushiony understanding. This is what God gives you for others. Why are they feeling what they are feeling and thinking what they are thinking? When we use this, it becomes introspection, and we get lost in our own muddle and our own emotions. But when you use that to look outward, what do you see? You're thinking, what are they, what are they going through? What are they thinking right now? Why does that matter? Because as a gospel tier, your desire is to intersect that with the love of Jesus. The utmost care. How can I best help them move toward truth, freedom, and righteousness? Delicate kindness. How can I best assure them that I am on their team? This is a very difficult thing because you're not ideologically supporting them. The church today has built this affirming network to say, yes, the LGBTQ plus community, you're welcome in our church and we will not judge you. Very delicate territory right there, right? Because what they're doing is they're living in sin. And when you enter into the church, one of our purposes is to help you be set free from the bondage of sin. But if we're going to assure you that you can come into our church and we will never encourage you to let go of your sin, we're in dangerous straits because that isn't what we do. That's not how we function as the body of Christ. That's not how the Holy Spirit functions. That's not how the kingdom of heaven functions. We give up our life. We give up our rights. We give up our agenda to find Jesus. And I can't encourage someone else to hold on to their agenda and come to Jesus. And so to affirm in the wrong way is not what this is about. This is a delicate kindness to assure them that you love them. Now that would also mean you love them so much that you will speak truth to them, that you will help pull the thorn out of their soul. Even though it's painful, you love them. Loving discretion. How can I best express what I need to express in a manner that conveys all this lux grace? You know, there are certain words that people don't respond well to. Now, I am like the classic guy. Growing up, it really bothered me when they went from, uh, what was the term? Uh, mankind to humankind. That was in my generation. And so I used mankind for another 10 years and purposely so. And it actually wasn't a good quality in Eric, is what I would say. Because if you look at it, my motive was I like it the way it was, and I don't like it when a liberal culture tries to tell me the way I'm supposed to speak. Okay, when, when you're not approaching life with a luxe blanket, here, here's my approach now. I recognize that if a word choice that I am going to use would trip someone from being able to hear me, I'm not going to purposely use that unless I'm going to delicately say, this word means this to me. However, I know to you, 
this word can be offensive, so I'm going to choose not to use it. So I could still mention the word, but I would do it in such a way where my goal is to win them. My goal is not to offend them because I have an agenda to just press the way it's always been in my life, and if you don't like it, so be it. That isn't a healthy way to win the lost. The Lux blanket was meant to be given. When we offer these amazing Lux qualities to ourselves, what happens? Uh, by the way, guys, I'm about to describe our culture today. Instead of others, oh, wait, when we offer these Lux qualities to ourselves instead of others, it makes us highly sensitive and easily offended if everything is not spoken or done in a manner that is ultra caring toward us. You can tell a culture that is self-centered and self-medicating and self-promoting. I mean, everything about you know, Instagram to Facebook, self-promoting. Look at me. I mean, even the, the term selfie. I mean, can you think of a worse term for a picture that you could take? A selfie. Everything is about you. And the culture promotes that. Promote you. Jesus says the exact opposite. Promote Jesus. You deny yourself. Promote others. You're actually supposed to be a promoter of others not a promoter of yourself. That's because you're sharing your Lux blanket instead of drawing attention to yourself. But when you do this, you become highly sensitive, easily offended. We have the most easily offended culture. I, have, I mean, I've been around 52 years. I've never seen anything quite like this. I mean, if you look the wrong way, if you didn't wear your mask the right way, if you didn't wear your mask, I mean, that's enough right there. But I mean, it doesn't, I mean, every little thing is being measured. So, ah, one of those. This is a tough world to live in, but you have a Lux blanket. A culture clinging to its Lux blanket, where everyone seems highly sensitized and easily offended, eggshells have been placed in a 20-foot radius encircling all the delicate, easily breakable souls. One accidental misstep and the volcano blows. Great Britain, France. Just like that. I mean, these guys could not get along. I mean, it's actually rather humorous if you, if you study their history. All you have to do is be born French and you hate the British. I mean, as you're popping out of the womb, you're saying some anti-British slogan. It's weird. It's like in the DNA. It's like generational. The same thing can happen in our culture where out of the womb, we are already criticizing certain things because of our heritage. Very odd. Imagine how strange it would be, think about this, for a mother to wrap herself in the Lux blanket while her baby freezes. It'd be inhuman, indecent at every level, immoral. If you have a strength and you have someone who's weaker that needs it, what would you do? Well, obviously, a mother would wrap her baby in it and she would freeze first. Uh-huh, that's right. So now listen closely. Imagine how strange it would be for a Christian to wrap himself in the Lux blanket while the lost around him decay under demonic rule. We've got a lot of Marcos out there that are hurting. Except the enemy wants to contort us into political camps where we look through our political ideology at someone instead of what Jesus glasses say. He loves them. If you could imagine putting Jesus glasses on and you know that those those certain uh, digital readouts that show warmth, like body heat. Imagine if it was love heat from God and you were to put on those glasses and realize how much God loves these lost souls. You know, it's like, it's like, whoa, he really loves them. Well, he's already made that clear in his word, but for whatever reason, we've conned ourselves into thinking that he is 
totally disposed to just get rid of them because that's the way the conservative agenda or even the liberal agenda towards the conservatives feels. Many of you have thought if we were to divide this nation into two nations and we were to have one side which was liberal and all the liberals could hang out there and we had another side that was conservative, life would be good. And yet, life would not be good. Why? Because the soul condition would not have changed. This is an issue that is supposed to awaken our need for Jesus. We have been using the grace that we've been given on ourselves to self-preserve and to self-protect, and we've justified it instead of saying, nope, I was given this so that I can give it. When we wrap others in, up in the Lux blanket, we offer these amazing Lux qualities to those around us, making us highly sensitive toward their unique challenges. Think about this. When you wrap yourself in, you become sensitive. You become easily offendable. But when you wrap others, you become sensitive to their needs. And as you are giving of yourself to them, suddenly you are awakened to the love of Jesus towards them. So you become highly sensitive toward their unique challenges, their points of entrapment, their points of vulnerability and hyper-defensiveness, and the way that they can be set free by Jesus Christ. God can use you to reach that person when you serve them with your life. So listen to what God says about the Lux blanket that he's given you. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. You were given something so that you can give it. Now that's speaking of the church and speaking of spiritual gifts. You were entrusted with Lux grace so that you could share it with those around you. It's the same principle. 1 Peter 4.10, as each one has received a gift, a blanket, right, a Lux blanket, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So what are you supposed to do with this Lux blanket? You're supposed to minister. It's like, here's my blanket, and then someone can stick a blanket around your shoulder and go, I wasn't expecting that. I was giving away my blanket, but then someone else put their blanket around me. How does that work? Welcome to the body of Christ. That's how it works. God knows that when you give, you have need, and God will supply that. The healthy missionary pattern. Use the Lux blanket on the weak around you. So we have three rules of Lux blanket wrapping. Rule number one, Blanket wrapping is an act of sacrificial generosity, so you must give your own blanket. Yes, yours. Don't grab someone else's. To give, you must give up something that is yours. Congress is famous for giving someone else's Lux blanket. Uh, that was too political. Sorry about that, guys. Uh, what we always want to do is make sure that we, if we're going to stand for giving Lux blankets, that we choose to give ours. And we don't say, hey, could you give your Lux blanket? It's like, no, we start with our own. We say, Lord, show me what to do with mine. Rule number two, when you, and this will make more sense as we progress. When you wrap someone, walk backwards toward their weakness, staring at the goodness of God the entire while and not at the nakedness of the one you are wrapping. Rule number three, embrace the chill of giving up your blanket. When you give up your blanket, what do you get? A chill. Embrace it. Don't grumble that you are currently blanketless and that no one is currently wrapping up you in a luxe blanket. Instead, Rejoice. Because in that lack of human sensitivity toward you in your situation, you have greater access to the intimate warmth of God's presence. When you receive that chill, you also have now access to the warmth of God's presence in a way you would never have if you didn't have that chill. So this is why you rejoice. This is your moment to grow in Jesus at a greater way and draw into a deeper place of intimacy with him. So Noah, in Genesis 9, this speaks of him. Then Noah drank of the wine and was drunk. Uh-oh, that doesn't sound good, Noah. And became uncovered in his tent. Uh-oh. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth 
did something different than stare upon the nakedness. They took a garment, a luxe blanket, mind you, laid it on both of their shoulders and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned away and they did not see their father's nakedness. God is going to bless Shem. Did I get that right? Sounds funny. Yeah, it's Shem. It sounded, it sounded funny when I said it. Shem and Japheth and Ham is going to be cursed because of this very incident. But it's showing a distinction between two ways that we handle the weakness of others, the Marcos in our midst. Are we going to want to come home and say, Marco's been talking all day long. I'm sick and tired of him. You know, because we're talking to the mom, right? And she, you know, I'm wanting my mom to discipline Marco to solve my riddle. Or am I going to just silently take the luxe blanket I have and set it over him and say, he needs to be loved. He has not been loved. He has not been encouraged. I want to encourage him. But when you have a braggart like Marco in your midst, you're hesitant to encourage him because he's encouraging himself with every word and criticizing you. And that's the risk of giving up your lux blanket. Proverbs 17, 9, he that covers a transgression seeks love, but he that repeats a matter separates very friends. You can be aware of nakedness without looking upon it and inspecting the nakedness. There's a lot of junk out there. But when we love those people, we're not loving their junk, we're loving them. We don't need to inspect their junk but we need to cover them with our blanket. A talebearer reveals secrets, but he that is of a faithful spirit conceals the matter. Moving forward, but doing it backward. So remember Shem and Japheth, they actually walked backwards. They're walking forward, right, but backwards to put that luxe blanket on their father who was naked. Why do we do it this way? In order to show love. I'm sorry, in order to show honor, in order to seek love, to not look upon weakness, but rather to cover over the weakness with the lux blanket. The blanket of love and grace. What's the cross? How did Jesus approach it? He went forward backwards. Isn't it an incredible thought to think that that's the actual picture of how he covered our weakness? He shed his blood and he created a robe of righteousness, but he went backwards. Not staring at that cross, which is a symbol of a curse, but he went back towards it and covered us with his grace. Oh, what a beautiful picture, guys. John 19, seven, and he bearing his cross went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew, Golgotha. And he said to them all, if any man will come after me, that's us, that's us. He's talking about us. What is he gonna say? Let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. He says, you know that luxe blanket that I'm going to give you? I want you to not consider it yours. I want you to receive it from me, but then to give it to others. And whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Luke 14, 27. This has some bonus thoughts added. And whosoever does not humbly back into the splintery wood of a self-sacrificing, loving lifestyle and come after me, walking backward with a luxe blanket, the garment of grace poised upon their shoulders to cover the weakness of others, cannot be my disciple. Let's pick up our cross and go forward, backward, also known as going forward with self-sacrificing, forbearing love. So here's the practicals as we start to break this down. You have been given a grace. In every situation, in every circumstance in life, every room you come into, I want you to find that low seat. I don't want you to seek the high seat, I want you to seek the low seat. Take the lowest place in every conversation, in every situation, always on the lookout for the lowest seat. Around your family, when you walk into a conversation, take the low seat in the conversation. 
When you walk into this room, take the low seat in this room. Consider every single person in this room deserving of your Lux blanket before you. And then you are on the lookout to say, God, where do you want me to spend my Lux blanket today? When you go into this world, you take the lowest seat in every conversation. It doesn't mean you don't know more. You may know more doctrine, but it's not a position of knowledge. It's a position of givenness. Jesus took the lowest place. He was God. And yet you listen when you take the lowest place. You don't just tell someone what you think they need to hear. You first listen. And you allow God to give grace through you. Luke 14, 27. He, Jesus, told a parable to those who were invited when he noted how they chose the best places, saying to them, when you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him come and say to you, give place to this man. And then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place so that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, go up higher. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Approaching the conversation like Jesus, take the lowest seat at the conversation table. I say Elihu's position. In Job's friends and Job, there was a character that was silent the whole time. He was the youngest in the midst. And then he's going to have the most profound statement in the entire storyline. Whip out your Lux blanket and get ready to experience the chill of giving it up. Go forward in grace going, by going backward toward those who are desire, you are desirous to love. The privilege of the Christian. If we give up our Lux blanket today, get this guys, this is amazing, we will receive a new one tomorrow to give away. You are never bereft of grace. You can't outgive God. If you give up your Lux blankets, guess what? you end up with a fresh stash. How does that work? It doesn't mean you won't feel chill in the process because it's risky every time. You have to have faith that God is going to resupply. And he always does. You can never outgive God. You give away Lux blankets and you will find that you will be probably the number one Lux blanket possessor out of the entire world. You will have more Lux blankets come through your possession than anyone else. 1910, the death of the uncle of Europe. He was the pin in the grenade, guys. And so when you're going to pull that out, this is, this is his uh, funeral. So gorgeous was the spectacle on the May morning of 1910 when nine kings rode in the funeral of Edward VII of England that the crowd waiting in hushed and black-clad awe could not keep back gasps of admiration. In scarlet and blue and green and purple, three by three, the sovereigns rode through the palace gates with plumed helmets, gold braids, crimson sashes, and jeweled orders flashing in the sun. After them came five heirs apparent, 40 more imperial or royal highnesses, seven queens, and a scattering of special ambassadors from uncrowned countries. Together they represented 70 nations and the greatest assemblage of royalty and rank ever gathered in one place and of its kind the last. The muffled tongue of Big Ben told nine by the clock as the cortege left the palace, but on history's clock it was sunset and the sun of the old world was setting on a, in a dying blaze of splendor never to be seen again. Right at this time in history, we are going to transition from an old world to a new world. And the death of Edward VII is when the bell tolled. Because the stability of Europe is suddenly going to be removed. You see, there's something... I, Edward VII had a lot of issues, okay? I don't want you to grow up and be like Edward VII, but there's one quality I want you to take from Edward VII. And that is his willingness to go straight into the enemy camp and say, I just want you to know. I want this feud to cease, and I value you. I want to be your ally. 
The crisis of 1910, Europe lost its lux blanket. Edward, the peacemaker of Europe, his life had been like a pin in a grenade. Once removed, an explosion was imminent. Reginald Brett in his diary, who is Lord Escher, said there was never such a breakup. Speaking of the death, the burial, the funeral of uh, Edward, all the old buoys which have marked the channel of our lives seem to have been swept away in the death of Edward VII. We have a crisis today. The crisis of 2023, America has lost its lux blanket, which is the reason why we have such extreme hostility. We are supposed to be the givers of the lux blanket. So when the church is weak, it's the equivalent of losing Edward VII. The 1903 French edition of Ed Seven, that's Edward VII, but we'll call him Ed Seven. The worried aide says, the French don't like us, sir. And Edward VII says, why should they? The 2023 racial conflict edition of Ed Seven, the worried white aide says, the blacks don't like us, sir. Edward VII says, why should they? Have we been spending our time putting our luxe blanket around their shoulder? Hey, why should they? It's a great question. The 2023 Liberal Agenda edition of Ed Seven, the worried conservative aide says, the liberals don't like us, sir. Edward VII says, why should they? The 2023 LGBTQ plus edition of Ed Seven, the worried conservative aide says, the LGBTQ community doesn't like us, sir. Edward VII says, why should they? The key to the beautiful city. How do we enter into this conversation to impact this dying world? that the world calls beautiful and we know is set for judgment? How do we engage with the issues of our day? We've been given grace, guys, but are we using it ourselves? or are we willing to put it around the shoulder of a dying world, even if we receive the chill in so doing? Father, this is a work that you must do in us, but I pray that you would Give us the grace to move forward, to let go of our own clinginess to the strength and the benefit of our life. Lord, may we serve as you served us. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder episodes are released every day, Monday through Friday, from our campus in Windsor, Colorado. And our weekly sermon is delivered live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings with a delayed live stream available at noon Mountain Time. Go to ellersley.com forward slash daily to get all the details. Thanks for listening.